2: Everybody, and welcome back to another episode. Today, I'm going to be real honest with you. I completely ran out of time to be able to put together a full episode. At the moment, I've got a few different projects coming up, which I would love to tell you about, but unfortunately, I can't just yet. Um, But they are taking quite a bit of my time to get sorted and up and running. And also, I had a week's holiday last week, so I didn't do any work during the week because it was my holiday. I also failed to prep beforehand and I didn't have an episode ready. So it's just meant that I've just run out of time this week. But I didn't want to leave you completely short-handed without anything this week, and what I thought would be a really good idea is to go back to the old newspaper archives and to see if there's any stories that I haven't yet uncovered or looked into properly, or anything that was kind of in the seconds bin, as it were. If I couldn't find any more information out about it, so today I thought I'd just have a little look at those dead ends that I come up against quite often. So come and join me, and today we're going to explore the old newspaper archive, and we're going to have a look at a few stories which were just a little bit too short or didn't quite have enough information around them for me to make a full episode, so today's going to be a little bit of an omnibus of all those things that never quite made it into a full episode of Macabre London. Hi, my name's Nikki, I'm your host with a silent G, and welcome back to another episode of Macabre London. If you are new around here and it's your first time meeting me, then hello, nice to meet you, and thanks for dropping by. As I said in the intro, today's episode is going to be not as comprehensive as some of our usual ones. Then please take a look at some of my other episodes, because there's plenty out there to choose from. In fact, I checked the other day and we've now got a ridiculous amount of videos on the YouTube channel, some of which, if you listen to the podcast, you may not have seen before. So maybe give that a look if you haven't already. And I would love it if you subscribe, whether that be on your podcast provider or on YouTube. And come and join us in the Ghoul Gang. I'd love to have you on board. Okay, so today we're delving into my favourite place for research, which is the British Newspaper Archive. And quite often when I'm researching for episodes, I find that some of the topics that I come across are just a little bit too short, or there's not enough research out there. And so I thought it'd be really good fun to just have a look at a few of those for today. Now, the first of which, I'm just going to get my trusty iPad ready. This thing is absolutely ancient. Now, reading from these things is always good fun because sometimes they're really just not very well transcribed at all. And you'll be able to see that quite often, if you're watching the video here, you can see that actually they're really not transcribed very well. And uh, quite often they're quite blurry and difficult to read. So hopefully we'll be able to make it through without too many problems. Now, this first one that I came across, I found it a little while ago now and um, what first piqued my interest was I was researching for another episode and I was looking back through old copies of the Illustrated Police News, which is one of my favourites because in there it's a lot of very strange, weird and wonderful stories, some of which I don't know if they're entirely true because of course the press never lie. But they always have really good pictures and um, it's something that I like to have a look at because I find that having those illustrations, even if it's something from near the time, is actually quite helpful to help me build a better idea of what was going on at the time, how things were in general for people. So when I'm researching for an episode, I don't always just read and research about the story itself. Sometimes I go off on little tangents and I do a little bit of research either side of the story to find out what else was happening in that month and just so I can completely kind of get into the heart of it and so I can understand exactly what was going on in the general populace at the time. So this is one of those stories and it's called Murder of a Boy by His Father at Hoxton. Now apologies if you're watching the video version of this because I am going to be looking down quite a lot because I am going to be reading from my iPad so apologies for that. Part of the following matter appeared in our fourth edition of Last Week but it will be necessary for the better understanding of the case to subjoin the report of the prisoner's first examination. On Wednesday afternoon, the Clerkenwell Police Court was crowded to hear the examination of Richard William Walcott, a cabinetmaker of Two Crescent Place, Whitmore Road, Hoxton, who was charged before Mr Cook with murdering his son, Thomas George Walcott, between nine and ten years of age by drowning him in the Regent's Canal on the night of Tuesday. The prisoner is a thin, short man, and seemed to treat the matter with the greatest indifference. Now, I'm not sure if it says here director or counsellor, because this, this bit hasn't been copied correctly, but um, somebody by the name of Alan, of the Associate Institute for Improving and Enforcing the Laws of the Protection of Women and Children, was in attendance on behalf of the society. John Keith Pritchard, a lad about 16 years of age, said I reside at 10 Limehouse Fields. I am an apprentice and I do not know the prisoner. Last night between 8 and 9 o'clock I was walking along the towpath of the Regent's Canal. I saw the prisoner kneeling down by the edge of the water under the new north bridge. I passed on and I did not take any notice of him until I turned round and saw him looking round in a strange manner. The prisoner then appeared to be picking up stones. Thinking his conduct strange, I went back and asked him what he was doing. Was he drowning a dog? And he said, no, there is a boy in the water. When I passed, I saw no boy in the water, but when I returned, I saw one, and he was near the shore. I pulled my coat off and tried to pull him out. The prisoner asked me if I could swim, and I said I could not. The prisoner said to me, he can't swim because his legs were tied. We tried to get him cut, but we could not. I got my handkerchief around the back of his head and pulled him nearer the shore. When the boy went under the water, I said to the prisoner, you had better go and fetch the drags. I did not hear any screams either, before I passed the prisoner, or when I went back to him. We got the drags and began dragging about when a barge came along and disturbed us, and by that time a police constable came up. As we were going for the drags, he told me that the boy was his son, I afterwards asked him how it was that his son came there. He said he had sent him for some sugar two hours before and had gone there to look for him. The prisoner had a pair of slippers in his hands and he said they belonged to his son. He said the slippers fell off his son's feet as he slipped into the water. I'm not quite sure how he would know that if he didn't see him fall into the water... Police Sergeant Herbert Staramore, at least I think that's what it is, it's very, very blurry now. I don't know if you can see this at all on the screen, but it is very blurry. I am struggling to read it. Police Sergeant Herbert Staramore said, I was on duty in New North Road last night, about ten minutes past nine. I saw a mob of persons on the bridge, and from what I was told, I went to the lockhouse on the towing path of the Regent's Canal. The prisoner was there, pointed out to me, as throwing his son into the canal. This morning, about six o'clock, I commenced to drag, and at about quarter past eight, I pulled the body of the boy up, which was taken into the boat by the last witness. The slippers produced, the prisoner pulled out of his pocket, a piece of cord, some keys, and a packet containing half a pound of sugar. Police Constable Bradshaw said, About ten minutes to nine last night, I was called to the lock house and was told that a man had thrown his son into the canal and drowned him. The prisoner jumped up from a seat and said, I am the man, and if you go down there, pointing to the water, you will find him. George Jeffrey of 2 Crescent Place, Whitmore Road, said, I know the prisoner by the residing in the same business as I do. I know his son, Thomas George Walcott, and I have seen his dead body at the dead house. I believe the boy's mother is dead and that the prisoner is married again. Ooh, the plot thickens. Mr. F.J. Backnell, surgeon of the North Division of Police, said I was called this morning to the dead house of St. Mary's, Islington. I saw there the dead body of a boy apparently about nine years of age. He had evidently been dead from eight to ten hours. I cannot speak positively to the cause of death, not having made a post-mortem examination, But the body appeared to have been in the water. The present appearance is that of death from drowning. By Mr Cook. I did not observe any external marks of violence. The body was well nourished. Now, what's happened here on the uh, on the print is that it's got very smudged and it looks like another piece of newspaper has been put on top of it. And then it's got other print on it. So it's a little bit difficult to read here. So I'm going to do my best to try and put together something from from what's left in these little smudgy bits of ink here. An inspector said that he had a sergeant in attendance who took the charge and who could something only to the fact that when it was read over to the something something, he denied it. Make of that what you will. If you have any ideas and you're watching on YouTube and you want to leave a comment about what you think some of these sentences might be, then feel free. I would like that very much. Mr. Cook remanded the prisoner. The prisoner, with the greatest concern, said, ''Let my wife have the keys, the knife and the sugar that were found on us.'' Mr. Cook said, ''Something, everything, with the exception of the keys, must be kept by the police.'' The prisoner was then removed the coroner's inquest. The adjourned inquest upon the body of John Thomas Walcott, aged nine years, who met with his death by drowning in the Regent's Canal, was resumed on Monday afternoon at half past two before Dr. Lancaster at the King's Head Tavern, something road, King's Road, I think. I really love that they used to just try people in pubs. Pubs were really all-purpose buildings. You could obviously go and buy what you would buy in a pub, which is beer, but also they used to sell like fish, oysters, bread, buns, and also you could get put on trial in there. The coroner opened the proceedings by saying he had written to the Right Honourable Something Something, the Secretary of State, to have the person who is charged with murdering his son before them that that gentleman has decided to allow him to be brought before them. Okay, these next two lines I can't read because they really are covered in print from another page. The coroner said as that was the case contrary, as he thought to the practice for 30 years past, they thought they had better adjourn for the purpose of enabling him to apply to the magistrate for the production of the prisoner. The court adjourned. Now, that's one that I have been, it's been sitting there for a while and I've been trying to find some more information about it because I think it would be really interesting to, A, find a copy of this that isn't completely just screwed up with all the ink on it because I think it sounds like a, a an interesting story because I would like to know whether he was found guilty or whether the boy really did slip and fall into the canal and then drowned. Obviously, back in Victorian times, nobody knew how to swim because it just wasn't common practice. The the, the only people that learnt how to swim were people that could afford it, because bathhouses weren't weren't a thing, and swimming pools weren't really a thing. They only really came in in the Victorian times, and particularly if you lived in London, you just didn't have access to. A swimming pool or, or water for that matter at least nothing you could swim in obviously there's the Thames but it was just basically used as a dumping ground so you really wouldn't have wanted to swim in there because it would have not been nice and full of sewage and uh, bodies and also animal remains and all sorts of nasty stuff so you really wouldn't have wanted to go swimming in there and obviously it was a time before there were things like lifebuoys on the side of the towpaths and things so so people, the risk of drowning really was much more than it would be today
1: To find out if it's right for you.
2: Okay, so this next one, which just happens to be from the same newspaper, I, um, I discovered this one a little while ago. It's been sitting and living in my head rent free for quite a while now because I would love to get to the bottom of it. But again, with a lot of these stories, they just fizzle out and there's just not much else that you can find out about them. And so it does mean that they don't end up making it into full episodes. So I'm, I'm really happy that I can actually share this with you because, um, as I said, this one's a good one. This one's called Horrible Discovery in the City, Coroner's Inquest. Hang on, I think I'm going to have to switch to my laptop because my iPad is just not coping with how blurry this is and it's getting very, very difficult to read. Well, that was quite the pain to sort out, but I've got there in the end. Everything is all plugged into the laptop and I just managed to pull everything across the floor and also stop the audio recording and also knock the camera over and... (sighs) You know when you're just having one of those days? Today is one of those days. It's been one of those weeks. It's been one of those months. I'm having a time, everybody. I'm having a time. Horrible discovery in the city. On Tuesday, Mr. William Payne, the city coroner, held an investigation at the Crown Tavern, Red Cross Street, Barbican respecting the supposed murder of a male child and the discovery of a number of human bones at No. 11 Hanover Court, Milton Street, City. Michael Mannion, 8 Sun Court, Milton Street, a carpenter, deposed that on Thursday last, he was employed in making some repairs at Mr Reynolds' house, 11 Hanover Court. In the rear of the house, he observed that the pavement wanted to be repaired, and he went to look for a stone for the purpose of settling it. In the cellar, close by the stairs, He observed a stone, some 16 inches long, by 9 broad. And thinking it would suit his purpose, he struck it, preparatory to pulling it up. To his surprise, he heard a hollow sound. He did nothing more then, however, but he went away. In half an hour, he decided to go back and lift it up. With some tools, he lifted it up and removed it. The place was dark. He put in his hand and placed it on something cold which he found to be the head of a child. He left it then and got a light, and then he saw the naked body of a child laying on its back. He did nothing further then. The following day, Friday, he told his employer, who had the contract for repairing the house, and the police were communicated with. Witness accompanied a policeman to the cellar and showed him the child. It was taken out of the hole. There was something fastened round the child's waist and the legs were tied together. They dug down about two feet and found a quantity of bones. There were legs, arms and bits of skulls. Dr F.H. Simpson, police surgeon, said he had examined the body. There were wounds on the right side of the head and there was another wound on the left. The latter wound was nearly three inches long. The scalp was parted from the bone and the skull was fractured. In his opinion, the child must have been dead only a week when it was discovered. The cause of the deceased's death was, in his opinion, the extensive injury to the head. Mr Thomas Reynolds, 11 Hanover Court, City, deposed that he was an undertaker, and that he had lived at his present residence for 14 years. The cellar in question was open to all in the house on account of the dustbin being there, He could not say how the body came there. The street door opened by a string. He put all stillborn children that he got into shells for burial, and he could show by receipts, which he handed in, that he paid the fees for burying such children. Since the discovery had been made in the cellar, the door had been nailed up. Sarah Kelly was then called. She said she was a widow living at 50 Regent Street, Lambeth, She was recently absent from home, attending her daughter Elizabeth Beckley, who was married last year to a Carmen, living at 62 Long Alley, Bishopsgate. Mrs Beckley was confined on Saturday fortnight. Witness was present and so was a doctor, and it was a male child and was born about half-past one in the morning. It lived till half-past six on Saturday evening. The doctor saw the child during the day. It was convulsed at times, but the doctor said, while there is life, there is hope. Witnesses identified the body found in Mr. Reynolds' cellar as that of her grandchild. She knew the flannel. When the child died, it was laid out and the father got an undertaker who came and measured it and took it away on Wednesday week. Joseph Beckley, a carman, said that he was the father of the child. After the death, he went to an undertaker who asked too much, and then he asked a friend who buried his children. The friend told him Mr. Wicks." He went to Mr. Wicks, who sent him to Mr. Reynolds, to whom he then went. Mr. Reynolds was not at home, he was in a public house. Witness told Mr. Reynolds that he had a child dead, that he wanted to get buried. Do you want to make a funeral of it? Mr. Reynolds asked. Witness said, no, I'm only a poor man and my money ain't much. Well, said Mr. Reynolds, I'll do it without a funeral for 11 shillings. On the Wednesday, while Witness was out, Mr Reynolds took away the body in a shell. Witness got a receipt from him as follows. Received of Mr Beckley, 11 shillings for the expenses of his child's funeral. March 13th, 1868. T Reynolds. Joseph Fork, detective of the City Force, said that he went to No. 11 Hanover Court, and in the cellar he found a hole. It appeared to have formerly been a sort of well, bricked round and filled up. He had it dug out and discovered a quantity of pieces of skulls of children. He afterwards saw Reynolds at Moor Lane Police Station, and told him the body of a child had been found in his cellar. He said he knew nothing at all about it, and that he had not got a stillborn child to bury for at least 10 or 12 months. Witness eventually succeeded in getting the receipt signed by Mr Reynolds. The coroner asked whether the police thought they could get evidence to alter the complexion given to the case by the evidence of Mrs Kelly. Detective Fork said that he didn't think that was likely. He heard that the child died in the arms of a respectable woman named Jones, who was not, however, present. Dr Simpson said that he would modify his first evidence from what he heard. It appeared that the child had been dead longer than he supposed, and it was just possible that the effusion on the head, where the injuries were, had been occasioned by the pressure and the lapse of time, but the broken rib could not have been post-mortem. The coroner asked whether the broken rib could have been the cause of death. Dr. Simpson said he thought not. Dr. Flack said that he would attribute death to debility or exhaustion from convulsions. The coroner said that it was satisfactory to find the case so far cleared up, for at first it seemed as if a very foul murder had been committed, The conduct of Mr Reynolds could not be dealt with by the jury, but nothing could be more reprehensible. This case showed what facilities such a disgraceful system would give for the disposal of murdered children. A juror said that the court ought to recommend that the police should deal with Mr Reynolds. Inspector Kilby said that the facts would be reported to the commissioners. The jury then returned a verdict of death from exhaustion arising from convulsions from natural causes. A quantity of the bones found in the hole in the cellar were produced and examined by doctors Simpson and Flack. They found that the remains of at least four children were in the parcel. Some bones of animals were also amongst those of the children. It was supposed to be useless to attempt to go into the case of the children, the portions of whose skeletons were discovered. Let's just take a moment to unpack that one, because what they're saying there is that actually... They didn't care about those children, and I think that's because they were poor. And what we have to remember as well is that the Victorians weren't strangers to death. Children died all the time, and it was not uncommon for it to happen. But it seemed like Mr Reynolds, who was meant to bury those children properly and and look after them and, and care for them in death, he didn't do that. He just took the money and buried them in his cellar. And nobody seemed to be upset or annoyed by this. The families understandably were, but nobody else seemed to care. And ever since I've read this story, it's just been stuck in my head and I can't get rid of it because it just seems like nobody cared about those kids. Now, personally, I don't like children. They're not my bag. I would I would rather not. But it seems like the main point here in the in the case of, well, it didn't even go to trial because nobody seemed to care that much was that it just didn't really matter. Sorry, today has been all about child murder. I didn't mean it to be, but uh, sorry. But hopefully that was an interesting insight into uh, the things that sometimes don't quite make it into full episodes. And I hope you enjoyed that. If you like this kind of thing, I tend to do more this style of video on my Patreon. So if you enjoyed that and you want to see more of it, there's quite a few of them on there as well. I'll leave a link for it in the description so you can take a look if you'd like to. And huge thanks for even considering doing it. It just means the absolute world. And um, I'm really, really thankful if you support me. It was really kind. In all my haste this week of getting this video recorded, I completely forgot to say thank you to our top tier patrons. So thanks very much, Amy, Barry, Christina, Jess, Kate, Kevin, Mary, Wren, Sam, Sarah and Veronica. You're the absolute best. And thanks to all our other patrons too. You're also the best. Thank you. Okay, I've got to dash off and edit this now because it's got to be ready for tomorrow. So I'm going to zoom off. Thanks for joining me be back with a normal full-length episode in a fortnight just need a little bit of time to get my head around a few things and all that leaves me to say is i've been nikki druce and i will see you ghouls next time i still haven't got nails back they're coming back i promise i promise